This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Jimmy Lucero and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome. We got 10 people doing good. That's great. <laughs> How's everybody else doing then? You know what? I, I am... A, I, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Jimmy. I'm the youth pastor here, so I'm used to it being like loud and people talking back and like, amen, and like, keep going. And so you, you, you go ahead and do that. So just one more time, just for my own sake. You guys ready to get in the word today? Yeah. All right. All right. Awesome. Um, before we jump into that, if you need a Bible, if you would raise your hand, some of our ushers are coming down. They will get you a Bible in your hand. Just put it up real high. They will place that in your hand. We will put scripture up on the screen for you guys if you are needing that as well. So as they're coming down, I want to make sure and run through this because I've got a lot we got to cover this morning. Uh, if you'll go to first Samuel chapter 16, first Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to pick up. And if you have not been here for the last couple of weeks, Pastor Stormy has been doing this series called Identity Theft. And our heart behind it and our goal behind it is that we are, are trying to get you to understand that the enemy is real. He is here to kill, steal, and destroy, and that includes your identity, who you are in Christ, how you view yourself, and what you think you are capable of doing for the kingdom of God. He wants to wipe that out from your thought life and from your memory completely. And so we've started this series a couple of weeks ago. We're going to continue it today. But week number one, Pastor Stormy took us to a passage where the, the, Jesus was walking with his disciples. And he turns to them and he says, who do people say that I am? They turn at each other. They look at him and they say, well, some believe you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. And I can just imagine in Jesus's mind that what he does at that point is he looks at them and he says, you know what? Those are great people, great men of God, but they don't hold a candle to me. And he turns and he asks them one more question. He says, what I want to know now is who do you say that I am? And I absolutely love that he does that. I love the way he phrases it when he says, who do you say that I am? Because what it shows to me is that Christ is after a one-on-one personal relationship with each and every one of us. Because he doesn't say, okay, so everybody else says that I'm this. Good. We're good to go. All right. Everybody's got the idea. He says, no, what I want to know is who do you, as an individual, who do you say that I am? So Pastor Stormy has been doing this series, and it goes along perfect with it. And God gave me this thought that in order for you to know who you are, you first have to know who he is. You can't know who you are unless you know who Christ is. When you find him and when you find who he is and what he wants to do in your life, that's when you find your true identity in him. You find your true calling in him. And then last week, Pastor Stormy talked about Rahab the harlot and how the choices that she made and her background and her whole story and everything that happened in her life. God used that, turned it around for the better, for the good, completely changed her identity. He took us into scripture in Jeremiah where it talks about that God is the potter and that we are the clay. And that basically what that boils down to is that when we say, God, I want to give you my life, I want to give you my heart, everything that is me, all of my core, everything in my very being, I want to give to you, God. That's us giving him permission to take us, mold us, and create us into what it is that he wants us to be into a new creation and give us a new identity. This morning, we want to take a look at a young man who in his life, he, he was... 
completely average, just normal, just like a normal person. So before we jump into that, let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you for this morning. that We have an opportunity to hear your word. Father, I thank you that you challenge us, you encourage us, that you shape us and mold us this morning into what it is that you want us to be, Father. Father, we give you glory and honor for what you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a young man that in his life, he was overlooked. He was saw as average, that there was nothing special about him. He was just like everybody else. At times in his life, he was even compared to his siblings. How many of you guys have siblings? I have felt in my life at times that I have been compared to my siblings. Maybe not directly from my mom or my dad saying like, look, your sister's way better than you. That's just horrible. But I have felt it in, in my own life just personally because all of elementary, junior high, and high school, my older sister was just a straight-A student. Never struggled, never even had to study. Everything just came really natural to her. A big test was coming, and she's like, eh, whatever. And she just straight A's, just really intelligent. Whereas I was a student that was just kind of like, oh, God, just let me pass, please. Just let me pass. I was a student that did as well as the person sitting next to me because I cheated a lot. But in her, it, just, it com came completely natural for her. And so she goes into college and, and she gets her associate's degree. She gets a scholarship to go to UNM in Albuquerque. So she goes there. She's, she gets her bachelor's degree there. And everybody's like, yay. And I'm just like, just let me pass, please. Then she graduates with her master's degree. And again, I'm like, <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> yay for you. And then she gets into a, a job. She's a physical therapist with a master's degree in Albuquerque, doing incredible, incredible things with her job, so much so that they've offered her positions where she gets to go and travel for her job and train other people, where I'm still sitting here just kind of like, man, I just want to be like as cool as you are. And she gets this opportunity that they call her and say, we need you to go somewhere. We're going to pay for everything. All of your, your kids, we're going to pay for your family. We're going to pay for your husband. We're going to pay for them to go. And we're going to pay for your, your, your gas. We're going to get you a car. We're going to pay for groceries. We're going to pay your, your house. We need you to stay there for three months if you'll just go. And she's like, oh, okay. And so she tells everybody about it. And we're just, I'm just like, oh, that's awesome. You know, we rejoice with you. This is great. You're going to Dallas going to Houston, California, this is going to be so great. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to Hawaii. Really? Like, I'm just like, man, can it get any worse? And so I, I, I get that thought of like, you're compared. You're just like, you can't match up to somebody. It was like Pastor Matt said earlier today, you feel like you're just kind of like, I want to be like them. That's where this boy was. Is that he was looked at as average, just cast aside, no big deal. Nobody expected anything from him and what we're going to do is throughout the morning we're going to find out that our lives is extremely similar to his that sometimes we feel average we feel left out we feel like how can i accomplish this how can i do something for the kingdom of god i'm compared to this person or this person or i compare myself to this person and think i will never amount to this i can never do that we're going to take a look at their lives and my, my heart and my prayer and what I felt my assignment is that God put for me today is for you to get this thought. I always tell the students this. Write this down because this is something, something's good. Get ready. Get your pen out. 
I want you to get this thought. God specializes in taking the average and making them extraordinary. That's his specialty. That's what he loves to do is to get the under God and say, oh, nobody's expecting anything from you. Watch what I can do in your life. God specializes in taking the average and making them extraordinary. First Samuel chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse one. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Now, right there, I want you to understand, Samuel's a prophet of God. And when God speaks to him, Samuel would go and take that message wherever it is that God told him to go, deliver that message, and whatever spoke out of his mouth, it happened. Scripture even says that with Samuel, when words came out, that none of them hit the ground, which means there was power, there was an anointing, and things happened when Samuel spoke. So God says, Samuel, I want you to go find Jesse. I'm going to anoint one of his sons to take the place of King Saul because King Saul is just being disobedient. He's not doing anything that I told him to do. He's flat out being rebellious in certain areas of his life. And so we need to replace him. In this passage, it even says that when Samuel would walk into the town, people trembled because they were afraid of what Samuel would say. Is he going to speak a blessing over me? He's going to call me out on my sin. You ever been around somebody like that, just a man or a woman of God and just in their presence, you're just like, ooh, this, ooh, like all this sin just rises up and you like immediately are just like, oh, I don't really feel like worthy of being in your presence. That's how it was with this guy. Could you imagine Samuel walking into your town and you being like, hey, Samuel, come here, come here, come here, come here. I want to introduce you. This is my fiance. And he's like, oh, it's nice to meet you. Sorry, it's not going to work out. Like, that would suck. Everything that Samuel said, it came to pass. God used him in tremendous ways. So reading on, he says, find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Verse 2, but Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. If Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. So God tells Samuel, go find Jesse, bring one of his sons. We're going to anoint him as the future king. And Samuel's like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Wait, slow down. Uh, if I do this, God, and Saul finds out about it, he's going to kill me. Like this is, this is not going to be good for me, God. And I, I imagine in a, a small way, He's kind of complaining to God. God, I don't, I don't want to go here because this is going to be bad for me. Maybe, maybe the situation is justified. Maybe he will kill me. I don't know. But either way, God, I just, I, I don't see this as good. Can you send somebody else? I don't like this situation. This is not going to go over well for me, God. I, I, I just, I see him as completely complaining about the circumstance that he's been called to. Now watch. Watch God's response. The rest of verse two. It says, take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. Samuel's like, no, 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 God, no, no, no. If I go, if I go, he's going to kill me, God. This is not good. He's going to kill me. I know it. I know this is going to happen. And God is like, yeah, so anyways, get a cow and go over here. 
Like he totally ignores his complaint. He totally just doesn't even respond when Samuel's like, he's going to kill me. God's like, get a cow. It's all good. Go anoint the new king. I remember there was a, a, a story that I wanted to share with you guys. Of one, one of my best friends growing up, his name was Tim. He's a youth pastor there in Roswell where we grew up. Well, his dad's name is Dan. And Dan, because of circumstances in my own home life, Dan became one, my spiritual father, as well as just a father figure to me. Just him and his family took me in. And so I was extremely close to Dan. And one time he's, he, he's extremely involved in the church there. And one time the church called him and said, Dan, we need you to go up to the hospital. Somebody's sick and we want you to go pray with them. And Dan was like, great, I will go. He says, I'm, I'm, I'll go on my lunch break. As soon as I can get out for lunch, I will head straight up there. And they're like, great, thank you. So he gets on lunch, he goes up to the hospital, finds the person from their church. He prays with them. Everything is great. The person gets better within a couple of days. Everything was awesome. When Dan was leaving, he goes to press the button on the elevator and he, hear, he hears this prompting in his heart that says, go to the third floor, room 305. And he goes and he stops and he thinks, what was that? And he presses the button and the doors open and he goes into the elevator and he hears it again. Go to the third floor, room 305. And he sits there and says, God, is that you? And I imagine God being like, yeah, get a cow. No, I'm just kidding. And so he says, God, is, is, is that you? And so he, he reaches down to go and press the number one to go down to the, the ground level to go to his car. And he presses the button. The elevator starts to move. And he hears it again. Go to the third floor, room 305. He says, God, if that's you, I'm just, I can't. I can't go right now, God, because I'm on my lunch break. I need to go get me some lunch. I own my own business and, and the, the job can't function unless I'm there. And I, I'm so hungry. I did what the church called me to do. And I came and prayed for somebody and I did it. I was obedient. God, I need to go. I got to go, God. He goes down to the first floor, starts walking to his car and he hears it again. Third floor, room 305. And he just can, God, I can't. I don't have time. He goes and he sits in his car, puts the key in the ignition and God says, three, three, oh, five, three, three, oh, five. And says, fine, God, fine, I'll go. Takes the key out, goes up to the third floor room, three, oh, five. He knocks on the door. A gentleman says, come on in. He looks at the guy and says, I know you don't know who I am. My name is Dan, but I just felt in my heart that I need to come and pray for you. Do you mind? The guy says, yeah, come. I welcome it. Come pray for me. So Dan prays for him, prays just healing over his body, prays that the doctors has wisdom, just a normal prayer that you would do in that situation. And as he's sitting there, he talks with him for two or three minutes, and then he has this thought, and he, he goes ahead and follows through with it, and he says, sir, I just, I just have this on my heart that, that I need to ask you, would you like to give your heart to God today? Would you like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And the guy says, you know what? I do. I want that. This is great. And so he prays for him and he leads him through the sinner's prayer and tells him all about Jesus and all this. So the, the guy gets saved right there just because of a prompting that was in his heart. About a week later, I have to go home for a funeral for, for a family. And I'm there in the funeral home and I'm talking with family and the back door is open and 
Dan walks in. And so I see him and I'm like, Dan, what are you doing here? And he goes, I, I really am not real sure. He said, the other day I went up to the hospital and prayed with a guy and he got saved. And I saw in the paper that he died. And so I came just to pay my respects. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. I said, is, is that him? And I pointed to the casket and he goes, ah, that's him. And I said, that's my uncle. Sometimes we complain and it's God, I can't No, God, you don't understand. You want me to give who $20, Lord? I wanted to go to Red Robin afterwards. This is crazy. No, not going to do it, Lord. Sometimes, guys, we have no idea what God is trying to do in the big picture. And we're too busy complaining about it when God puts something in our heart. You see, the thing is, is that God is not concerned about our excuses. He's concerned about our obedience to the call. We all have these excuses and every time God will look and say, just get the cow and go. Just be obedient. God is after our obedience and our heart above all else. Skip with me down to verse 6 in chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 6. Samuel finds Jesse at this point. He tells him to bring all of his sons. We're going to have a feast. I need to meet your sons and I'm going to anoint one of them. Verse six, it says, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, one of the sons and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you guys can rejoice about that? I could be honest with myself and I could look in the mirror and be like, oh, thank God that he doesn't judge by this. And that he judges by this. People judge by outward appearance. God judges by the heart. Scoop with me now down to verse 10 for time's sake. So Jesse brings another son. He just brought Eliab and, and, and Samuel was like, nope, it's not him. God told me it's not him. So he brings another son and another son and then another son. Verse 10. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Jesse, Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? Samuel brings the first son. Jesse brings the first son and Samuel's like, nope, not him. Next one, nope, not him. Nope, 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 not him. Is this all you got? Because God told me that one of your sons is to be anointed the future king. You've brought in your sons and this is, none of them are it. Is this all that you have? Look at Jesse's response. He says, there is still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. You know what Jesse's response is saying right there? I brought all of my sons. You said, one of them is going to be king. Bring all of your sons. So I brought my sons, but I left one behind because he's really not going to amount to anything. He's just average. He's really, he's not even worth your time looking at. That's why I didn't bring him. He's, we're not expecting anything out of him. We compare him to his other sons, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring the best-looking one at first, and so here's my best one. Okay, the second best strongest, the third best biggest, and I'm going to bring all of them, and oh, well, you know, this guy, he's just watching the sheep, doing stuff that nobody else wants to do, just average. His own father thinks of him as not even worth your time looking at, Samuel. And I think a lot of us at times feel that way. Who am I? Who am I to be used by God? Who am I to have this anointing on my life? We're not expecting anything of ourselves. Reading on, 
Samuel says, send him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. Verse 13. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought with him and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. I want you to notice something. Back in verse 1, going all the way back to verse 1. God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, I've got a boy. I've got a young guy that is over here that, that everybody sees as average. Nobody's expecting anything of, but nobody knows that I went already, scoped him out. I saw him and I've selected him as the future king. Nobody has an idea. Jesse doesn't know his own father. David does not know that there is a calling on his life. And the thing is, is that it's the same for you and I. Is that even before you were born, he said, Raul, there's a calling on your life. I have called you. I have selected you. I have picked you out regardless of what anybody else has thought of you. In every single one of our lives, there is this calling that God has selected us specifically. And sometimes we don't even know that the calling is there. Because it's dormant, because we're not seeking the face of God. Just like there was a calling on David's life, it's the same for us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. I love, I love this. I love that, that God is so personal. Because he says, just like I said, Pastor Stormy had said, okay, so who do you say that I am? Then right here in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans that I have for a whole bunch of people in the world. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you as an individual. God has handpicked every single one of you for a purpose. God has selected you for a purpose. And he knows the plans that he has for you. He knows you by name before you were even born. It's about a personal relationship. Now watch this. Seven sons go by. Samuel's like, nope, nope, not him, nope. Uh, no, he's not carrying a cow. So nope, not him. Nope. He goes, he goes through all seven sons. Is there any more? Yes. I got one more. He's watching the sheep. Bring them. He looks at him and he says, that's him. That's the boy. David was the eighth son. He was number eight. He was the one that nobody thought anything about. Everybody had cast out and said, he's just average. He's just normal. Nothing big, nothing spectacular. Nothing is going, he's left behind. He was mistreated. He was compared like so many us of us so many times. But here's the thing that Jesse did not know is that God specializes in taking the average and making them extraordinary. Just like in our lives. Maybe we are average, but my God will make me extraordinary in his eyes. David was a number eight. I believe that in order to have or answer the calling of I am number eight, you have to be willing to be obedient. You have to say, I will accept that calling and I will be a number eight. I may be different. I'm, I may be average. I may be cast aside. There may be nothing spectacular about me, but you know what? I will stand for God when nobody else is. A number eight will take a stand. A number eight will be extraordinary in God's eyes. 
You know who number eights are? They're giant killers. This David that we're talking about is the same David that killed Goliath. Goliath and his army comes and he's mocking all of the soldiers and, and oh, nobody can beat me. Look how big I am. Do you know that, 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 that it says, the historians say that the spear that Goliath carried was as big as a fence post? This is a massive, ma- his helmet alone weighed 15 pounds. He's a big dude. Mocking everybody. Nobody can beat me. Let's try this. Let's go one-on-one. You get your best. I'll take my best, which is me. We're going to fight. Whoever wins, they win the war. Everybody's like, I'm not fighting Goliath. I'm not fighting him. I'm not fighting. Jesse says, hey, uh, David, why don't you take some food to your brothers? They're at war right now. Why don't you go take them some food? He says, okay. So he walks over and he hears Goliath mocking. You're puny. You're worthless. You're nothing. Nobody will stand up and fight me. And David looks and says, I'm a number eight. I will. I will stand my ground. I will fight. And get this. Goliath, being a number eight, all I need is a slingshot and my God, and you're going down. You see, number eights are giants, killers. And in all of our lives, there are giants. Whether it's addiction, whether it's poor choices, whether it's our past, our history, the current choices, whether if it's relationships, we all are struggling with something with this giant that is staring us in the face saying, you have no power over me. And we have the anointing and the ability to look and say, no, I am a number eight. I do have anointing. I do have power in the name of Jesus. A number eight is a giant killer. I believe that To answer that calling of the I am number eight, you have to possess three things in your life. I encourage you, if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. The first thing that you have to possess in order to be a number eight is you have to have a heart that is after God. David throughout scripture was referred to as a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to say, I have a heart after God. What it means is that your life is in harmony with God. It means that if it's important to God, it's important to me. If God says, go, I go. If he says, stop, I stop. If he says, remove this, I remove this. Add this, I add this. It's when your life is in harmony with God. It does not mean perfect, but it means that you are chasing after him constantly, daily, Get this, you want, you, want, you want a broken down definition of I have a heart after God. I believe it's this. It's when your heart is sensitive and obedient to God. It's when your heart is sensitive and obedient. I believe all of us, every single person in this room has the ability to hear the voice of God. That still small voice in our gut that says, don't go, do this whatever it is we all are sensitive to hear this voice the problem is are we obedient see dan heard go to the third floor room 305 he was sensitive enough to hear that obedience lines you up with the word of god obedience puts you in harmony with god second chronicles chapter 16 keep your place there in samuel second chronicles 16 In verse 9, it says this, it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed 
to him. So many times I think in our lives, we sit back and we're like, God, I need the strength to overcome this. God, I need the strength to do this. God, give me strength. The situation comes and we're like, God, where is my strength? God, I feel weak. God, I can't accomplish this. God, I'm not doing this. Just a thought. Are we fully committed to him? Because scripture just said his eyes look for those that he can strengthen that are fully committed to him. Just a thought. Are we fully committed to God? The second thing that you must possess in order to be a number eight and answer that calling is that you must be humble. You have to be a man or a woman that is humble. I believe that God saw David and knew that he was a man that was humble. You know how, you know how I know this? It's because when Samuel comes and says, okay, David, we're going to anoint you as king. You're the one. All seven of the other ones, nope, not them. It was you. You're the number eight that we're going to anoint today. He pours the oil on him, says we're anointing you as the new king. You know what David did after that? He went straight to the store and looked and said, I like that crown. I'm going to take that one. That one's got a lot of pretty jewels on it. I'm not doing the sheep anymore, okay? I'm, I'm done with the sheep. I, they, they stink. They're dumb. There's poop everywhere. I'm out. I'm better than my brothers because I'm going to be the new king. They were not selected, just me. No, that's not what David did. You know what he did? He went right back to the sheep. Samuel came and said, I'm anointing you as the new king. David said, I will receive that calling, but... I will be faithful to my father first. This is what he has called me to do. And this is where I'm going to be until God releases me to go do something else. Every one of us has this calling on our life. The problem is, is that we, sometimes we try to jump in front of God. We have to understand that there is this season when he calls you out. There is a season of learning that we have to go through some situations, sometimes good, sometimes rough. But it's to build our character. It's to encourage us. And David knew that. So he said, okay, I'm going to be the new king, but I'm going to go back and watch the sheep until God says, okay, it's your turn. He kept this heart humble and didn't say, well, I'm better than them. About a, a month, maybe two months ago, I went and got my haircut at a barbershop that I've been going to for a while. And when I'm there, I, I walk in and the owner likes to let uh, all of his friends come in and they just hang out and talk and they're not even getting a haircut. They're just chilling. And I'm, you know, I'm good with that. Whatever. It's your shop. You own it. Do what you want. And so they're all sitting there talking. I go and I sit down. And as soon as I sit down, the owner looks at me with these wide eyes, just kind of like, uh oh. And immediately I'm like, I know what that look is. And so I'm sitting there and all the guys start talking. This is on a Saturday morning. They all start talking, man, last night I was at the club and I was with this girl and we did this. Every other word was F this and F that and bada, bada, bada. And just like going off. Like I think they invented cuss words. It was crazy. Just constantly talking about I did this with this girl and tonight I'm going to do this. And they just went off. 
And the whole time, the owner of the shop is just like, because he knows what I do for a living. Nobody else does, though, other than the guy cutting my hair. So we're sitting there, and they're just going off. I'm staying quiet. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to be here. I don't belong here. I don't want to be around all this cussing, the way they're talking about girls. I don't view girls that way. I respect women. I'm, I just don't. I'm better than this. I don't want to be here. And then one guy says something that it's like you could hear a pin drop in there. And by chance, he is the biggest guy. I'm talking like big. And he goes, you know what I hate? And everybody else is like egging him on like, oh, what do you hate? Tell us, what do you hate? And he goes, I hate people that go to church. And my barber goes and drops the scissors. <laughs> Just freezes. Everybody is like, well, the owner and my barber are like, oh, this is not good. So I look, I look at my barber and I kind of lean like that. And I'm, I start whispering to him. And everybody's like, why? Why do you hate people that go to church? And he says, I hate them because of this. Last night I was at the club and there was this girl there that she was just fine. She was all of that. She's just, uh. And I asked her, she was drunk, so I thought, easy one. So I asked her, come back to my place. Come back to my apartment. Well, let's go have some fun. And the girl looks at me and goes, oh, uh, I can't because... I got to get up early and go to church tomorrow. The guy says, I hate people that go to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. She was out there dancing all nasty and drinking and doing all this stuff. I've seen her go home with other guys before. And then she's like, oh, I got to go to church in the morning because I'm a good girl. He's like, I hate it because Christians are hypocrites. That's none of us in here, though, right? Praise God. Amen. And so he goes on and starts talking about that. And I lean over and I look at my barber and I said, man, I don't think he knows what I do for a living. And I guess I said it too loud. Because the big guy turns and looks at me. And he goes, what did you say? And the number eight in me, all 165 pounds stood up. In the spirit, not in the flesh. In the <laughs> And I looked at him and I said, I'm guessing you don't know what I do for a living. And he goes, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, uh, you going to watch the Cowboys game tomorrow? <laughs> totally changes the subject. Doesn't talk about it anymore. I finished getting my hair cut. I pay the guy. I'm walking out. As I'm walking out the door, all of the men in there, all the guys that were just cussing, talking, they're like, hey, Pastor Jimmy, God bless you. <laughs> May God be with you. <laughs> and so I walk out, and in this facility, it's the boys are in the back. The girls' salon is in the front. And so I walk out of the boys. I'm walking through to the girls to get outside, and I hear somebody go, hey, Pastor Jimmy. And I turn around, and it's the big guy. And immediately, I'm like, where's my knife? <laughs> and so he walks up and he says, could you pray over my chain? And he pulls out his chain. And I said, what? And he says, pray over my chain. Somebody told me if you pray over my chain, then I'd be good with God. And I just looked at him and I said, ah, I've never seen that in scripture, man. I'm sorry. 
He goes, oh, well, what are you supposed to do? And I said, I can do something better. I'll pray for you. And he goes, okay, what church do you go to? And so I tell him all about the church, where we're at, where we're located and times and all this. I said, you should come, man. And he's like, okay. And he puts his hat on and he goes to walk away. And for some reason, I had a bright idea. I reached out and grabbed him. The guy's huge. And I grab his arm. And part of me was like, whoa. And the other part was like, stop touching him. And so I put my hand down and I said, wait, man, I thought you wanted me to pray for you. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He takes his hat off. I pray for him. He puts his hat back on and looks at me kind of like, that was weird. That was different. And so I said, you know what, bud, Uh, I'm glad I got to pray with you. But honestly, that prayer will mean absolutely nothing if you don't give your life to God. He goes, what does that mean? So I told him all about Jesus. Now, remember, we're in the girl's salon. It's like 10 ladies just like (laughs) watching me pray for this guy, talking to him about God. And I said, let me pray for you. We're going to pray that you accept Jesus right now. Is that cool? And he was like, yeah, sure. So we'll pray and all the ladies are just staring at us. He puts his hat on and he walks away. I'm literally walking to the car laughing to myself because I had this thought of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be around these people. I'm too good for these people. I don't want to hear all this cussing. I don't belong in this place, blah, blah, blah. I'm complaining about where I am at that time. And God says, guess what? I just made you lead somebody to Christ. See, the key, guys, is, is to remain humble wherever you are at, and God will use you. But I'm going to throw this out there. That does not mean put yourself in situations that you don't belong and just be like, I'm humble, Lord. Use me while I'm at the club. Let's do this. <laughs> you got to use wisdom. Just throwing that out there, okay? The third one we'll go over, and this is it. The third point thing that a, a number eight has to possess is integrity. A number eight has integrity. Psalms chapter 78 is where I'm going to read. Psalm 78 and verse 71. It says, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. God is saying, look, I went and I plucked David out from watching the sheep and I put him as the future king and he led my people with integrity. A number eight has integrity. You know what integrity is? It's who you are when nobody else is around. Integrity is who you are when there's nobody to check in on you. Integrity is who you are when you're all by yourself. That's integrity. You want to be a man or woman of God. You want to answer the calling of I am number eight. You have to be after God's heart. You have to be humble and you have to have integrity in your life. You see, David, he started off small. He was just watching the sheep. But get this. It's in the small things and it's in the quiet places that you prove yourself to God. I don't know that everybody got that. It's in the small things and in the quiet places that you prove yourself to God. David was just watching the sheep, doing what he knew to do, being faithful to his father. And it was in that loneliness of being all by himself that he proved himself to God. I am after your heart. I am humble and I have integrity, God. 
That's why he stood out as a number eight to God. See, the testing of your calling, of being a number eight, the testing of your calling is not how well you do on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's how well you do the other days of the week. It is super easy to be a Christian on a Sunday and on a Wednesday. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is worshiping. It's the other days of the week that we prove who we really are. It's the other days of the week that we show our integrity to people. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.